Coming up next, the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, episode 20-50. A truck driver driving a very heavy vehicle likely fell asleep behind the wheel because there were no trademarks on the road or brake marks or anything, fell asleep, and he veered off the road and crashed into them. Albert died on the scene, so that's where my life drastically changed. Hi there, once again, this is Avi Ben Mordechai, and this is the podcast Real Israel Talk Radio. On our broadcast today, we're going to get into a conversation with uh, my wife, Suzanne. Welcome to the program again today. Hi, Avi. Hi, everyone. We want to talk today about a subject from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 28. This is something that really hits home with you on a very personal level. And uh, I think it's important that our listening audience are drawn into your story so that they too, who have gone through the bereavement of loved ones and people that were very special to them, how they also can draw strength from this program and to find hope in their story. I just want to say this isn't an easy podcast for me to do. So if my voice trembles a little bit here and there, please forgive me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Thank you. Okay, and you're going to be reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. So uh, go ahead and read 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 28. All right, from verse 12. Now if Messiah is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Messiah is not risen. Hmm. And if Messiah is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of Elohim, because we have testified of Elohim that he raised up Messiah, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Messiah is not risen. And if Messiah is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Messiah have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Messiah, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Messiah is risen from the dead, and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Messiah all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Messiah the first fruits, afterward those who are Messiahs at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of Elohim the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet, but when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that Elohim 
may be all in all. That's quite a statement that uh, he made there. And uh, I would like for you to start by giving us your testimony a little bit of why this is so relevant and uh, how it came to pass that it became so relevant in your own life. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming most of you know that Harvey is not my first husband. I met my first husband at university. Yeah, so by the time we uh, finished our studies, March of 1992, we got engaged. Um, We got married in July that year, and our life together truly started. Now I'm going to fast forward a few years to... Our two sons were born, and my spiritual journey really started because of how very blessed I felt in my life. I was happy with my home. I had a wonderful husband and a wonderful marriage. I remember my mother-in-law once said that she always would tell other people, these two will have to die together. I can see that this is very difficult for you to talk about, and... uh uh, if our room doesn't fill up with tears here. Hmm? So my mother-in-law would tell me later that she would always tell people that these two are so close, they would have to die together because neither of them will make it without the other one. So that is how close we were and how connected we were. And uh, we had our two beautiful sons. I loved our home, our friendships, our And at that point in my life, I had grown up religious, I would say, with an attempt at being a believer, but that faded away over time. But for the first time in my life, I felt so blessed, and I knew I didn't deserve it, that I knew it was from God's hand, that He blessed me with the things in life that were so important to me. And I ended up one day saying, God, I want to thank you for blessing me the way you have, but I don't know you. So I want to meet you so that I can thank you. And that's where my spiritual journey started. And the moment I started going to church on a serious level and I started a personal faith journey, my husband Albert, he said, if I continue on this journey and he doesn't, it is inevitable that our paths will start separating. And he doesn't want to lose me. So he's decided he's coming to church with me. Hmm. I think for maybe many men and women who might be listening to this, uh, perhaps they have had very similar experiences where, you know, they meet their uh, spouse, husband, or wife, and uh, faith enters into the picture of their life at some point later. This is quite a common thing that happens with, uh, with relationships. Yeah, I think so. The one that starts the spiritual journey, inevitably, as the scripture says, if two people aren't in agreement, how can they walk together? Hmm. Albert instinctively knew if this was a journey that we are not on together, that's going to affect our unity. And he said he's coming with me, even though he doesn't believe what I believe, he's going to join me as far as humanly possible. He can at least go in the same direction as me. Hmm. So I can't really remember how long it took, but interesting, one day we were sitting in church and it was at that stage... I grew up in a 
traditional Dutch Reformed Church and at that stage I moved to what was then a bit of a more a charismatic kind of um, church that I moved to and they did altar calls and I just suddenly noticed that Albert got out of his chair hmm. and walked forward and that was it. I didn't even realize that while he was joining me there week after week, the seed of God planted in his heart and it sprouted and he went forward and he gave his life to Jesus at that stage. I mean, we were one for the first time in every possible level, um, emotionally, intellectually, physically and finally spiritually. That was really a wonderful time together. And it was a few years after that that God called me to start observing Sabbath and just have a different perspective of where Torah was in my spiritual walk. And throughout this whole process, I kept Albert in the loop. I used to tell him, don't eat everything I bring home for dinner because it didn't work out too well between Adam and Eve. Mm -hmm. So though I was the one spending more time in the Bible and researching things and being led to this, I shared everything with him and said I trusted him to be my spiritual authority in this. If I'm being led astray, I'm trusting him to guard me and keep me and to tell me if he doesn't agree. But he kept saying, um, I think you're on the right track. It sounds right. So it took a few months of studying and researching and questions. And for those have, that have listened to the salami, pastrami episodes, they will mm -hmm. know what I'm talking about. So I'm mm -hmm. not going to go more into that. Mm -hmm. But eventually, the two of us did Sabbath together and started this journey of um, discovering what it means to love Yeshua and obey His Torah as a love response. Mm -hmm. So our life really just became fuller and closer and more intimate with God and with one another. It mm. was really a very special time. But then living in South Africa, we were constantly faced with the decisions of where do we go with our future? And we had two boys, two young boys at that stage, almost teenagers. And the future for them looked very bleak in South Africa. We were transitioning from what people would know as the apartheid era. So in 1994 was the first free election where black, white, colored, Indian, whatever, didn't matter. If you were of voting age, you were eligible to vote. Mm -hmm. And that was the year that Nelson Mandela was voted in as the president of South Africa. Mm -hmm. And it was a wonderful time. It was a scary time. Um, because white people felt very vulnerable and weren't sure what was going to happen if they were going to be slaughtered in their beds at night the next day. Mm -hmm. Our physical safety was more and more threatened. So more and more there were reasons to think that it's something we needed to consider. But we both prayed and said, God, if you want us to stay, we will stay. It's almost like the Israelites in the wilderness, right? You want to be under the cloud and the pillar of fire. Hmm. No matter where it is, that's the safest place to be. Hmm. And uh, Albert's training was in electrical engineering. Yeah, and getting contract work in his area was getting harder and harder for him as a white male. So we were constantly praying and asking God to guide us in terms of the option of emigrating. For the ages we were, 
we had a very small window and we rarely made any serious decisions when we weren't in agreement with one another. So about this immigration thing, it was constantly put back on the shelf. And then in 2009, for the first time, we both felt, going through it very prayerfully, we both felt at the same time that it was time to do something about it and to look at leaving South Africa. Our family all supported the move. Everyone said, go, get out if you can, go build a future for your kids somewhere else. Through some circumstances, Albert got a job offer in Western Australia. And it really happened so quickly. So he got the job offer after applying. Um, they offered him the position. And he had some conditions. And one of them was that even though we would move to Australia on a working visa, if something happened to him, that wouldn't give myself and our sons any permission to stay in Australia. So his condition was that the moment we set foot in Australia, they would start the process of applying for us for permanent residency visas. And that way Albert knew no matter what happened to him, his family would have the right to stay here. Because mm. on, on my own qualifications, there would be no way that I would be qualified enough to come into Australia. Mm. Um, with him as an engineer, it opened a door for us. Mm-hmm. So they agreed to those conditions. It, it was such a short, from December 2009, April 2010, we were on a flight out of South Africa. That was a real quick uh, transition, I would think. It, it yeah. sounds like it. Yeah, it happened very quickly and everything went very smoothly. And we included our two boys at that stage. They were early teenage, young teenagers. And we decided as a family prayerfully that we were going to do this. And generally what people do if they can afford it, wherever they're going to immigrate to, they would fly there first and then decide, is it a country they could survive in? And for us, we decided if God said go, then we'll go. And we had a meeting with a family and we said, no matter how tough it gets on the other side, if this is where we need to be, this is where we need to be. Not knowing really how tough it was going to be, but later I realized that prayerfully considering this and making that decision beforehand that was going to play a huge role in my life just a few months later. And you had great plans for the family, you and Albert, your husband, and your two teenage boys, uh, 13 and 15. And uh, it was time to make a new life in Australia. So continue on, please. Yeah, we were very excited. We were the first in our both our families to emigrate. We always traveled, loved traveling around in South Africa and the neighboring countries. And now we were looking forward to traveling Australia, the vastness of Australia. Um, just wanting to get settled first, get our kids settled in school. And I wasn't going to work initially. I would just be the home support and um, so that we can get settled and then see what happens after that. So we were in a rental home for six months. And then we saw the home of our dreams in November 2010, we moved into our home. And just the month before that, August, our permanent residency visa came through. And that, from arriving in April, for that to happen in August is amazing, fast. Mm-hmm. So things just bam, bam, bam fell into place for us. So our 
permanent residency came through in August, our home in November. We got unpacked all the furniture that we'd had moved, shipped over from South Africa. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We got unpacked and things hung on the wall and we were truly settling in. And then Albert was working at uh, the uh, power plant as the electrical engineer there. And then in November of 2010, uh, you settled into your own home, an hour commute to work every day. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So please do continue now. On the morning of February the 3rd, of 2011 mm -hmm. it was a thursday morning instead of going to the power station where he worked as normal uh, that morning albert had to go see clients in perth which is about a two-hour drive north of where we live mm -hmm. he said goodbye was left the morning and he was off to work um, about one o'clock that day he called me from perth and he said he had finished earlier that day and he was actually on his way back home. Mm -hmm. And I was so excited that I was going to see him a bit earlier than the time that he normally comes home. So mm -hmm. I knew it was a two-hour drive from Perth and expected him home by about three o'clock. Mm -hmm. So by 3.15, he wasn't home yet. I called on his phone and just got his voice message. 3.30, 3.35, I couldn't get hold of him. And I started getting concerned because I know that if anything ever happened in terms of his timing he would always let me know so by about five o'clock I was really concerned that he wasn't home yet and I couldn't reach him I ended up calling main roads because I thought the only thing that made sense to me was that he had been involved in some kind of an accident between Perth and Bunbury and my first thought was, thank goodness it's Australia, because people drive here in our area. People are so good at obeying um, the road traffic signs and the speed limits generally that not for a moment did I think it could be something really serious, mm. maybe a you know, breakdown of his car or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I called Main Roads and asked had there been an accident between Perth and Bunbury, and they said, yes, indeed, there had been. Mm. I asked if they could tell me the color of the vehicle or the make of the vehicle so that at least I know if it was him and they said no they could not so it was more waiting and then there was just this sense in the pit of my stomach that I knew something went really wrong and I remember I got on my knees and I immediately started praying and I just said God I feel like you're telling me that he's been in this accident and I'm begging you, please don't let him be dead. If he's paralyzed from his neck down, that's okay. Just don't let him be dead. And I remember crying from my core. I can't explain that. I was crying from the center of my being and just crying out to God, don't let him be dead. And that's when I heard God say to me, let him go. And um, Wow. Wow. I won't say it was an audible voice, but it was very clear inside of me where God said, let him go. And I remember saying, no, 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 no. This is not the way it's meant to be. This wasn't how we planned it. 
And then again, I heard him say to me, let him go. Hmm. And at that point, my answer was, God, I don't understand, but I will let him go as long as you never leave us. And I said, yes, I trust you. I will let him go. And my one son saw me crying on my knees. He came up to me and said, Mom, what's going on? And I said, your dad's not home yet. And I think he's been in an accident. And I remember him standing there and said, Mom, we don't know that. And I said, yes, we don't know that, but I think he's been in the accident. The only thing we need to find out is whether he's injured or whether he's dead. So at that point, there was nothing else for me to do other than waiting and keep uh, keeping on trying to call his number, which of course only went on to voicemail all the time. Later that evening, I went to the local hospital with my husband's passport so that I had a photograph of him because I thought, right, if he's in an accident and he's injured they will take him to the nearest hospitals and the accident according to main roads was about 50 kilometers from us so our local hospital would be the obvious hospital to take him so I went to the emergency department of the hospital and showed the passport around and said is this man in here somewhere and I remember them dodging me and saying hang on and calling other people and um they just were dodging me. I had that feeling. And at that moment, my phone rang about nine o'clock in the evening. And it was a police officer that introduced him. And he said, ma'am, I'm at your home here with your two boys. Please come home. I remember the first thing I said is, is my husband dead? Please just tell me, is my husband dead? And they just said, ma'am, please come home. And I wanted to get the answer out of him. Where is he? Is he in the morgue or is he in the hospital? Just tell me. And um, they said, ma'am, please come home. So I drove home. My sister-in-law was with me. She drove me home. And on the way home, a calm came over me that I cannot explain. Um, As we approached our house, I told her, the moment I walk through that door, my life will never be the same. So she said, should we drive past? Let's just go and sit at the beach for a while. And I said, no, I'm ready. So we parked and I walked in the front door and there were two police officers and they said, please come through. And we went to the sitting room, sat down and they explained to me what happened. Um, So what happened that day is on his way back, after calling me, he was on his way back home. And 50 kilometers from home, he saw someone next to the road who had a flat tire. And he pulled over to help this stranger change his tire. And what happened is a truck driver driving a very heavy vehicle likely fell asleep behind the wheel because there were no trademarks on the road or brake marks or anything, fell asleep. And he veered off the road and crashed into them. My husband parked behind this man with a flat tire Mm -hmm. and they were standing in between the two vehicles probably chatting. Mm -hmm. And um, the truck driver slammed into Albert's car at the back 
and the two of them were crashed between the two vehicles. Albert died on the scene. So that's where my life drastically changed. I, I think so many times in movies, we, I've seen before that doorbell ringing and someone's at your door telling, giving you this message that a loved one had died. And I felt, it felt so surreal that now this message is for me. And um, that's the news we got that day. Um, I can say when the scripture says that God is close to the broken heart, <laughs> I can testify. Though it was the hardest time of my life, I've never felt God's presence so close than I did that week. Okay, at this point, I would like to uh, take a quick break. This is Real Israel Talk Radio. You're listening to Avi Ben Mordechai and the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, episode 20-50. Welcome back to the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. Once again, here's your host, Avi Ben Mordechai. Hello there, and thanks once again for returning to the program here on the second half of Real Israel Talk Radio, as I'm having a discussion with Suzanne, my wife, from her immigration with her husband and family from Cape Town, South Africa, to Bunbury, Western Australia, not far from Perth. And uh, we are talking with Suzanne about the uh, immigration that she had with her family. And then, uh, without any pre-warning whatsoever, uh, it was nine months later after arriving in the country, in Australia, that her husband was tragically killed in a road accident on February 3rd, 2011. But it took Suzanne about another year and a half later for her soul to die and come to nothing, where then the Almighty God, Eternal One, Yehovah, heard the crying of her heart and brought her into resurrection life, as he will do for all of us who love him and will walk in his new covenant truth, because he is the God of resurrection life. So, Suzanne, let us please continue with your story and uh, pick up where we left off in uh, discussing the trauma of your experiences in this event that took the life of your husband. Let's continue on now with the story. About nine o'clock in the evening, it was a police officer and he said, Ma'am, I'm at your home here with your two boys. Please come home. I remember the first thing I said is, is my husband dead? Please just tell me, is my husband dead? And they just said, ma'am, please come home. And I wanted to get the answer out of him. Where is he? Is he in the morgue or is he in the hospital? Just tell me. And um, they said, ma'am, please come home. My sister-in-law was with me. She drove me home. As we approached our house, I told her the moment I walked through that door... <laughs> My life will never be the same. <laughs> so she said, should we drive past? Let's just go and sit at the beach for a while. And I said, no, I'm ready. So we parked. And I walked in the front door and there were two police officers. And they said, please come through. 
and we went to the sitting room, sat down, and they explained to me what happened. And um, I took my two boys and I told the officers, just hang on a moment. I took the two boys, we went to our bedroom. Um, we took hands, knelt together, and we prayed and we thanked God for Albert's life, for the husband and the father we had. We prayed to forgive the truck driver immediately right there. And then we cried and cried. And then I got up and walked back to where the two officers were waiting. And I sat there listening to all kinds of things about viewing the body and what happens next. And it just was so surreal. But I remember in that moment there was a calm that I couldn't explain other than saying God made it possible for me to still think straight in terms of the decisions I need to make for my children and for me to to get through what was happening. That night I didn't sleep for a single moment and that next week started the worst week of my life. Um, I can say when the scripture says that God is close to the broken heart Mm-hmm. I can testify. Though it was the hardest time of my life, I've never felt God's presence so close than I did that week. So though it was the worst time in terms of God's closeness, it was the best time of my life. I felt like I was so numb from what had happened, so broken. God literally, I felt like He remote-controlled me from inside. Um, he really supported me and was with me in an amazing way. And he raised up people to support me that I, I can't even explain that to you how mm-hmm. miraculous his support was. Mm-hmm. But I know just at some point when God was telling me to let him go, I asked, I said, God, if he's in the morgue, send me there. I believe that you can raise him up. Send me there. I have the faith to pray for his resurrection. But I know that if it's not in your will, then it won't happen. Only if I'm in agreement with your will, will it work. So I begged him, please send me there. Just tell me to go and pray for him to resurrect and I'll, I'll go right now. And that was part of it when he said, let him go. So I knew even though I didn't understand, I knew that at that stage the likelihood of him being dead, which was then later confirmed when the police arrived at my front door. Hmm. Yeah, and so, as I said, he died instantly, but I slowly bled to death over a year and a half. Hmm. I fed off of my relationship with him that still felt alive in my heart, but as time passed... And there was no new input from him in my relationship that started fading. And there was less and less for me to draw on. And more and more I had to draw on God. But even that was, it was just getting harder. I was slowly bleeding to death. And this happened nine months after we immigrated, right? So I left my country, my family, my friends, the life that I'd known. And now my husband that had been the love of my life for so many years it was just more than I that I could explain to anyone 
Paul says, those who have fallen asleep in Messiah have perished if, in fact, the dead don't rise. We are of all men the most to be pitied if, in fact, the dead don't rise. And he talks about the resurrection and the resurrection hope. And that is where I would like to pick up with this story as to how the Almighty Eternal One came to comfort you in the deepest of your pain. My death. So my story isn't as much about what happened as about what God did for me through my trauma. Because, as I said, I slowly bled to death over the next year and a half. Um, There were amazing high moments with God's presence and lows. And then the tsunami would come and I would just crash and I would just be a bundle of tears on the floor for a day. Remember, as I said, we were only here for nine months. Strangers in a strange country. So we went here long enough to really build a huge support network but god raised up people strangers as i said i can i can tell you about that that can be a podcast on its own and i forged friendships through this that will last me a lifetime with people that came alongside me and carried me people that i can never repay but eventually my my little love tank just got emptier and emptier and emptier and it was just all too much and I remember as I say a year and a half about later that a friend invited me there was going to be a guest speaker Um, I can't even remember I didn't really even listen to exactly what this woman was going to be talking about but she was coming to our town and she was hosting her at our home And she was wanting to get a few women together to come attend this event. And I remember just saying yes, sort of like a zombie, um, saying yes, I'll go, but not even caring what it was about. Uh, I just felt, all right, I'll go. And that day came. It was on a Sabbath. It was a Saturday. And I remember sitting there and just feeling, what am I doing here? And I asked God, why am I meant to be here at this event? Because nothing here is relevant to me. I'm not sure what I'm doing here. But towards the end of what this lady had to share, she did something interesting. She said we all had to write on a piece of paper the earliest desire of our hearts that we could remember. We just had to take a few moments and think back as far back as we could and think what was the desire the deepest desire of your heart and then write it down it took me a while but then I realized the deepest desire in my heart was for a good marriage because I come from a home where my parents divorced when I was very little and that had huge implications on my life I didn't want to have that for my kids so the deepest desire of my heart was a secure home and a strong marriage. So that's what I wrote on my piece of paper. And then she said we needed to crumble it up and we all went outside and we put it on the barbie where we burnt it. And I get what she was trying to do. She explained to us it's 
it's almost like our Isaac for Abraham, he had to offer his Isaac, right? If we can't offer up our deepest desires, if we can't offer, offer it up to God and say, you can make bring this into fulfillment, we offer it to you, and it's yours to do supernaturally for us from here on. And I had never done that before. I'd never really realized that about myself, that that was the deepest desire of my heart. I knew that's why my marriage was the way it was, because God knows the desires of our heart and He wants to give it to us. I realized that's why I had the marriage I had, because of Him. But now I was putting it on the altar. And I remember when, as I watched that piece of paper burn, that was almost like breathing my last breath. I was slowly bleeding to death and that's when I died. It was just something just went out of me and I felt dead. Not even crying. It's beyond crying. I was just dead inside. I went home and that night neither of my boys were home. So I came back to an empty home, empty inside, empty around me. I remember I filled the bathtub and I sat in there and I just said, God, here I am the way I came into this world with nothing. I don't have any faith left. I don't have any life left. I have nothing. And I sat there and the scripture that came to mind for me was that the spirit that raised Yeshua from the dead lives in us, right? And I remember saying, God, if that is true, if that is really true, then that is my only hope. Because from this death that I'm feeling, I cannot contribute to any future hope or life because there's nothing for me to contribute. If I'm ever going to have any form of life again, it can only be you doing it in me because I have nothing to offer, nothing. And I remember that I went to visit a friend of mine. I heard that she had called one of my other friends and said, wow, Suzanne's looked bad before, but something's happened. There's something really wrong with her. So she picked it up that though I had been broken and tremendously sad before, that there was a, a death that she hadn't seen in me before. The walking dead, really. And then, so that was the Monday. The next day, the Tuesday evening, a friend knocked at my door. So this was interesting enough, three days and three nights later, right? And a friend knocked at my door and she said she felt she had to come and see me and that there is something she has to ask me. So she was in a church here in our town. Part of her function at that congregation was to lead a little singing group. It wasn't a standing choir as such. It was a group that she would get together when they wanted to perform a song and then they would disband until they get together again. And she was here that night because she felt I needed to join them for this next song that they were going to do. And she felt that she had to come over and invite me to sing that song with them, even though I'm not a member, but that's what was on her heart. And I, for some reason, said yes. I just sitting there feeling just so dead. And I remember she was noticing as well that there's something different in me that she hadn't seen. 
and she was trying to encourage me to do some healthy things and find joy and go and do other things that make me just spark a bit of joy in me again and I, I listened to her knowing that it's good advice but none of that is going to do anything for me I'm far beyond that at that point so before she left I remember asking her oh what song is it that we're going to practice in to perform and nothing could prepare me for her answer she said oh we're gonna sing josh groban you raise me up <laughs> wow wow and mm. the moment she said that avi so three days before i said yeshua if i'm ever gonna live again you're gonna have to raise me up and here three days later <laughs> she comes to say that's the song we're gonna sing and at that moment i felt like god jump-started my soul again hmm. and i just felt wow something just happened and that's when i told her what i had prayed three days ago um i didn't tell her about it and i just shared with her what happened and how dead i was and how amazing this is that she's just come to tell me about i feel something just happened and i told her if i wake up tomorrow morning and that spark of life is still there then i will know that god answered my prayer that next morning i woke up and that little spark of life was still there hmm. and from then on started a slow growing process of that little bump breaking through as a tiny leaf and then another tiny leaf growing in me i've read so many times so many times in my life where it says it's no longer i who live but messiah who lives in me mm -hmm. that verse can never have the same meaning to me again mm. because i was dead in every way other than physically dead i was dead and three days and three nights later god touched me and resurrected me from that death that i had been walking in mm. and i know with listeners out there As I say, my story is not the most tragic story, but whatever you're going through, the reason why, even though this was hard for me, the reason why I wanted to talk about this is whatever you're going through, whether you're still bleeding to death for whatever thing is going on in your life. Mm -hmm. And I know that we try so hard when we're in that stage of, of pain. We try so hard to stay alive and to not go towards that death because fear of death is what we all have right there's the verse in hebrews that says it's fear of death that keeps us in bondage actually hmm. so we try so hard to move in the opposite direction that this death is taking us in but for me that was a battle that i just couldn't win the change it makes to trust not only the god that died for me but the one that resurrected for me that makes such a difference in our spiritual journey because there are going to be deaths in our life that we cannot prevent no matter how hard we try obviously the physical death that none of us death and taxes right none of us can get out of that mm -hmm. but there are other ways of dying other than physically and oftentimes in our lives that's a death that we cannot prevent we can ignore it we can run from it 
we can fight against it, but it's one that we can't beat. And if we don't have faith in the God of resurrection, then then we're going to be in trouble, as I was in trouble. Because once you reach that death, mm-hmm. for those of you who've been there before or on their way there, I hope you can rest in the fact that you are not the one who's going to have to get you out of that death. Mm-hmm. Because once you've been there in your life, you will know you really have nothing to contribute. Nothing. And if my having life again was up to me, then I would still be dead. And we serve a Heavenly Father who has indeed put the Spirit in us that raised Yeshua from the dead. And not only is He going to resurrect Albert when the time comes and resurrect me if I should be dead by that time, Mm -hmm. but He can also resurrect you out of whatever death you are in in your life or going towards. And the hope of having the God that can resurrect us, that is a hope that can get us through. That is a hope that gives us a reason to go through our pain. And those that lose their life will save it, and those who want to save their life will lose it. So we have to get to a point where we don't fear death But I pray that you too will pray that the spirit that raised Yeshua from the dead would raise you from this death that you're in. And I pray that now in the name of Yeshua and through His Ruach, through His spirit, for you listening, that I pray that He will kickstart you into life as well. And that you too will be able to know Him as the God of resurrection and that you too will be able to say, it's no longer I who live, but Messiah who lives in me. Because it's after this experience, Avi, that at one point I was on my knees before God again, and I said, I don't know what you want for the rest of my life, but make it count what has happened to me. Make my pain and make Albert's death and your son Yeshua's death, make it count for something. My life now belongs to you. And I've said that so many times before in my life, but I said it in a new way. And I said, I don't know if you want me to stay single or if you want me to be married again. But all I know is whatever is worth more in your kingdom, that's what I choose. If being on my own is worth more in your kingdom, then leave me on my own. If there is a man out there who needs help in his ministry and the two of us together will be better in your kingdom, then you show me and I'll marry him. But whatever you do with my life now, make it count for your kingdom. And it took me many years in my life to get to the point where I could pray that. And it wasn't very long after that, Avi, that you and I got Mm -hmm. brought together which Mm -hmm. is a story all of its own and finding out that you were praying the same thing saying Mm -hmm. God if there is a woman out there who can help me in my ministry please send her to Mm -hmm. me Mm -hmm. and so that's a story on its own and for those of you who are listening if you are going through trauma and times of great pain and death and you're dying inside in your soul from things that you're going through I just want you to know that there is a resurrection promised to us on many levels. 
many levels, not just physical, not just spiritual, not just emotional, many levels. There is resurrection hope because we serve a God of resurrection hope. And he will not leave you in death. He will restore you to life at the level that you need to be restored. He will do this because he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And life is what he is all about. So take that as strength and encouragement that it doesn't matter what you're going through. And this is something that you can embrace as New Covenant truth. Thanks so much for being with us here on Real Israel Talk Radio. Suzanne, thanks for sharing your testimony and your story for something that was difficult for you at the time. My pleasure and privilege to be here, Avi. Thank you. Okay. Take care of yourselves, folks, and uh, we'll come back on another podcast and talk about additional New Covenant truth. Stay with us for additional programs here on Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. You raise me up so I can stand on mountains. You raise me up to walk on stormy seas. I am strong when I am on your shoulders. You raise me up to more than I can be. This is the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio with Avi Ben Mordechai. If you wish to stay up to date with coming home news and information, simply register your email address with us on our website, cominghome.co.il, cominghome.co.il, Real Israel Talk Radio.